All right, here we go. Back again uh, this week. Just another casual week of um, chips in our brains, scanning our irises, new VR headsets, and feeling sad for robots. So uh, off we go again. Feeling good, Robin? Oh, dude, just just feast. Feast on all the amazing stuff that's coming out and get a little bit scared too. It's a smorgasbord of weird metaverse stories. Let's go. All right, let's get into it then. Uh, this is a big story and a good positive story about technology, which is something that sometimes we need, I think. Um, the story that recently a man who was paralyzed has been able to walk again thanks to a digital bridge that wirelessly has reconnected his brain and spinal cord. So let's, 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 <laughs> let's just unpack that for a second. What? What? <laughs> what? A digital bridge mm. inside his body. Inside his body that allowed his brain to communicate with his legs again. This is nuts. Yeah. First off, first off, can you pronounce his name? He's a, he's a Dutchman. I would like to try, which is uh, Gert Jan Oskam. How good is that? <laughs> it's actually Gert Jan. Gert okay. Jan Oskam. Yeah, but I mean, it doesn't matter because this guy will go down in history. Mm. This is, this is insane, right? Yeah. This is, you know, we, we, we're traditionally taught that if you suffer a you know a serious spinal cord injury it's pretty much game over you are you know paraplegic or even quadriplegic but we've always had this vision in our our brains of how technology will be able to fill in those missing links where we suffer irreparable damage to our bodies and we're thinking obviously about you know soldiers their reintegration into society coming home from service and and being able to feel again to to touch again and of course this is something that never affects most of us but when it does it's it's catastrophic and it's life-changing and if technology can really fill in the gaps here it does that thing which you know i don't know how you feel about this but whenever i hear technologists or vcs talk about technology or the investments they make they always use this phrase improving people's lives and it always makes me cringe and always makes me shudder a little bit because i wonder if they really mean it whether it's just one of those easy phrases that they serve up to justify investments in sketchy technology. But here is an example of something where it genuinely is improving somebody's life. And that's awesome. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? There's nobody's arguing that this definitely isn't a great use of all this te technology that's colliding. To try and explain what's going on here, and I'll do an average job of this, but uh, the brain-computer interface apparently is comprised of two electrical implants, one in each uh, in the brain and a spinal cord. Uh, so the first implant is placed in the brain area controlling leg movements and decodes electrical signals generated when thinking about walking, which is amazing. The second is positioned over the part of the spinal cord that controls the legs and the implant implants use adaptive artificial intelligence to decode movement intentions from the brain in real time and convert them into electrical simulation sequences for the spinal cord. That's a lot of words, but at least on the highest level ever, I can sort of understand the theory here of what's going on. Um, and the gentleman who says that he noticed improvements within days. So he's since been able to walk, climb stairs, navigate ramps and stand with friends at the bar. Uh, yeah, so it just is an amazing thing, isn't it? And, you know, off the back of that, we've seen Elon Musk's Neuralink, which has been kind of bubbling and he's been showcasing stuff for a while. Just get FDA approval. FDA approval for a, for a human clinical yes. trial. Importantly. A human clinical trial. I mean, it's one thing putting these implants in monkeys and I don't know how you, you feel about that, but... It's a completely other thing putting them inside human beings. There's, 
basically the statistic there there are at least 42 people in the world now with brain computer implants including a quadriplegic patient walking and an ALS patient typing by thinking about keystrokes that like zooming out the bigger picture here is in that first piece it's talking about computers being able to decode the brain signals so take your brain impulses understand them and spit out the correct response on the other side I want to move my legs your legs move that's the first bit and what it's sort of taking us towards is computers are becoming more and more sophisticated at understanding our own bodies and there's a lot about our own bodies that we don't understand but as we come to a greater and greater understanding of this in my head this sort of builds towards one of the kind of the big picture ideas I have which is about the death of the smartphone which is taking the way we interface with technology from an external device to one we wear to one that's actually inside us and people think I'm crazy when I say that the, the phone is going to die and of course it it won't completely we'll always have TVs and other things but in, inherently the way that we interface with technology will become more and more spatial and then it become more mental and when you look at these in, these news items you can see it starting to happen and it feels weird and science fictiony but you know what tends to happen is you have these procedures which are necessary like cosmetic surgery like getting you know uh, your fa facial reconstruction people do it for cosmetic reasons rather than because it's necessary it's a it's an elective procedure that's I think where we're going to end up going with this where people will decide that they want to have these implants not because they're quadriplegic or paraplegic but because it will give them an enhancement an improvement to themselves that they want because that is part of their post-human or transhuman wish fulfillment and I think the, the, another part of this is that we're starting to see you know, gender identity splinter into all sorts of different flavors and colors. And again, you know, whether you sit on the woke side or on the other side, politically, that's going to be extremely complicated to front up to. If you, know, you have a toilet in your school that is for cyborgs, I don't know how <laughs> I want to feel about that. But you can sort of see that extrapolation, that's kind of where we end up going. It's fascinating. Mm. Yeah. What What would you uh, say would be the most likely first cosmetic use of an implant? And if it was available, would you be like, yeah, do you know what? That, that would tip me over the edge to be like, maybe I will get that chip because I can do this. Well, there's there's already people that have done this, right? There's people that put chips in their bodies that allow them to open a door. So you have these smart connected homes. You walk up to your front door and it's like having the keys in your pocket open your car. The front door opens, in you go. These have already been in place for some time. Obviously, there are like there are some complications with putting stuff in your body because your body goes, eh, I don't want that inside me. Uh, I'm going to reject it. You can't just put stuff in yourself and expect your body to be okay with it. There's quite a lot of um, things that have to happen, like very inert metals. You know, you have to have, you know, if you have a transplant, you have to have a lot of drugs to prevent your body from just rejecting the organ. It's not a straightforward, simple thing, but again you know we've had 3d printed bones we have had hip replacements for a very long time now it's just where things are going but you know a pacemaker to a brain implant i have a suspicion that it's probably going to be quite a lightweight thing that happens first but it's probably going to be around biometrics and having a better understanding of your body so you can train better or you can understand mm. an illness or something like that you know it's like the apple watch thing and then moving further inside becoming more and more interesting actually there was a really interesting lex friedman podcast that i've been listening to talking about nanobots 
Oh, nanobots. Tiny nanobots. little robots. That oh, they go in and can, can tackle disease and stuff. Little. Can, yeah, can t- well, can tackle disease or, or build stuff or build the materials that they need to build bigger bots and build other things so you can build in space. Oh, gosh. You feel like, I sometimes feel like I'm outside of my body just listening to the world as if I'm watching a film. But like, this is this is what's happening in our world, which is completely but, mental. Yeah, and it, and it's it's really easy to get lost in the details, right? You, you just get kind of go, oh my gosh, AI can write stuff and I can talk to it. But like, you, you, go out further, go out further. Just keep going out further until you can really look at the bigger picture stuff, which is, you know, where is humanity going and how does it shape itself? And it really is like you're witnessing the evolution of a new genus of human being, but at such an accelerated speed, you know, like snails evolve really quickly. I found out at the weekend, humans do not, but we're starting to like really starting to. And it's, I I have this optimistic view of AI, an optimistic view of the world, which is that I don't see AI kicking us out and replacing us, but I do see a, a symbiosis of us and AI in some way that will become inevitable at a certain point. And the reason I think it becomes inevitable is because as a competitive species, the competitive advantage of having AI built in, having implants, having those upgrades will mean that at a certain point, a large section of society will do it because it's the only way for them to survive and to remain competitive. And then at that point, all bets are off, like the genie's out of the bottle. So I think that's coming. The, the next story on the, on the docket here, kind of feeds into that in a weird way because it's again it's another piece of weirdly dystopian looking hardware which is sam altman's worldcon why don't you take us through that one yeah it's an interesting one isn't it because as all uh you know ai is exploding and we're starting to not be not sure what is real and with the election coming up and now we're seeing all this stuff you start to have this identity crisis where you know how do we prove what is real it's like the big question that's going on at the moment so sam altman's trying to tackle this and trying to think about identity and how we prove uh you know that we are indeed who we say we are so uh i remember reading about this a a little while ago and sort of writing it off and i think the immediate reaction from a lot of people is this is kind of terrifying as you dive into it it's a little bit less terrifying but no 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 it is terrifying. <laughs> yeah. It is terrifying. I covered this story last year and it, it put all the hairs on the back of my neck up. Because basically what this is, is it's it's a, it's a little bit like somebody who represents, let's say, the Church of Scientology or mm. some other kind of strange group approaching you in the street and saying, please, can I scan your eyeball? And what they scan your eyeball with is this chrome sphere. The orb. They put it up in front of your face. It's called the orb. And what it's going to do is going to take a unique biometric picture of your eyeball and be able to say you are you you are human you are you and for that they're going to give you this token Wellcoin. now the optimistic view of this is it's firstly it's a form of non-hackable id it's also a piece of ubi so universal basic income allowing people to own a piece of this coin and the applications of that are far-fetched you know like you'll be able to do this i i, I mean just the just the weird thing of it, like to ask a layman's question: are, Haven't yes. the passport scanners got all our eyeballs anyway, and all our iris readings when we go through? Yeah, them? but this is this is this one is secured on the blockchain because nice. that's the most secure way of securing data oh. and everything else. Yes, it, it it is another one of those. What was interesting about this is they raised 150 million dollars, uh, led by Blockchain Capital. Uh, the the clues in the name, Blockchain Capital. Uh, 150 million dollar raise is eye catching because. Anything that isn't AI has been really struggling. And there's a lot of 
startups have raised in 2020, 2021, overhired and now are desperately cutting costs to try and um, stay afloat, basically, because, you know, no one's investing. And the subsequent, you know, Series B, Series Cs that they would have been raising are just not there. Nobody's interested. And the valuations are way down from what they were. This was the exception, whether it's because it has Sam Altman, who has sort of become the patron saint of all things AI and playing nice with regulators. Uh, I don't know, but it's it's definitely Sam Altman's season. Blockchain Capital, well, they addressed why, you know, some of the concerns I had about this. So this is Spencer Bogart, who's a researcher, um, basically said, what at first appeared to be a dystopian attempt to create a global currency with privacy-violating hardware was actually something else altogether, an entirely privacy-preserving solution to an increasingly pervasive problem. WorldCoin has the contributor community tech and strategy necessary to support billions of users at global scale. I see this phrase, billions of users, global scale, a lot, because it's the Silicon Valley promise, right? You build a piece of technology, you scale it to a unicorn, and then it can serve the needs of a billion people across the world because there's like seven, eight billion people in the world. And if you can serve every single one of them, then you have a massively profitable company. And I just, it just makes me sick, all of this stuff, because it's bollocks. It's frankly, utter bollocks. This thing is dystopian and weird. The privacy violating component of it also, like it needs to be, foolproof and i don't think anyone has really figured out a way for the stuff to be completely foolproof just yet you know people have been using blockchain and bitcoin to perform illicit transactions like tornado cash for instance for, for mixing ETH transactions but for instance a company like chainalysis can just go in there and see everything they can unpack all that they there is no privacy on the blockchain so i it, this whole thing just needs a lot more thought and I just see like these guys thinking Sam Altman, AI, the next big thing, blockchain, UBI, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, tick. yeah, it's all the buzzwords, Let's isn't it, unicorn. all in, in it one is. thing, plus eyeball scanning. But yeah, I, I, and it's kind of surprised me about Sam Altman in a way. I'm, what do you think about him? Because clearly he's a genius, but then is he an overlord? I'm not sure. It's sort of like this one's like a weird one, isn't it? Because it's, it's sort of through my opinion of him uh, slightly out the window. I, I, I don't know what he's up to do you know what i mean <sighs> who knows what he's up to at the end of the day he's a businessman and he's running a company and he's not <clears throat> he's no kind of elon musk here he's come through a very specific system where you know you generate profit and you generate revenue the, the cynical view of what he did in front of congress was that he's playing regulatory capture arbitrage so he's basically trying to be um the the most optimal position for creating the most optimal regulation for a piece of technology that could be and already is extremely valuable he claims he has no shares in yeah that's the other thing right it's open ai careful. prove it <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean, yeah I, so. know, uh, I do not but my sister does uh, who knew yeah. um so 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 my view of him is is the same it is of any of these kind of so-called new leaders of the free world, new leaders of new technology, new heroes, that every time we see a hero and we put them on a pedestal, inevitably they come crashing down. Uh, Do Kwan, two years ago, superhero, came crashing down. Elon Musk, is he a superhero? I don't know, but he, like for some reason he seems to be kind of strange enough to cut his own legs off but keep running. And I, I don't know, it's, it's very strange. Mm. But, but actually, Elon's a good bridge to something else that Sam Altman's been doing, which is 
throwing more robots into the world. Take us through this yes, one. Yes, the Sam Altman story doesn't end with scanning eyeballs. Uh, so you may or may not know that he also has a humanoid robot startup, uh, 1X, which has beaten Tesla in deploying humanoid robots into real-world settings. So these are out and about already. Um, it's named Eve and has been deployed as uh, security guards in two locations. Eve robots have a head and face and two autonomously moving arms. Uh, in addition to those features, they uh, have these uh, able. Well, they're able to kind of perform tasks like opening doors, picking up objects, stuff we've seen before. We did a whole episode on uh, robotics, the Boston Dynamics, and everything that's happening there with the robot dogs and all that sort of stuff. Uh, these can be controlled remotely, even through VR as well. So they seem like they're becoming kind of security uh, robots and have gone undergone tests in environments like retail stores, uh, healthcare facilities, and that sort of thing. Um, so. Ah! Ah, God, it's ah, happening. The robot's coming. Look at its face. Look at its face. Do you remember Wally? Yes. Yeah. So the, there's the Eve robot in Wally. They've clearly designed it after that. Eve is this e v beautifully friendly looking face with these creepy arms, and it's doing stuff. So the the headline on the One X Tech website is Androids built to benefit society. Meet Eve, the smarter working android available now. I mean, it just looks. It looks like someone wearing an wearing a suit and laughing <laughs> as a robot. And then there's then the in development is is Neo, your intelligent Android assistant, currently in development. We're living in the future. Yeah. It's happening right now. It's, it's happening right now. And the, the thing about all these these websites is they they spout the same line, which is this is to help improve people's lives. Have they I seen the films? <laughs> uh, I mean. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. So I, I used to do a lot of work for Philips back in the day, and they had this kind of vision statement, which was improving the lives of a billion people by 2022. That was always the big thing. So they did a lot of healthcare stuff. I can get behind that because building a, a cheaper MRI scanner, um, you know, using AI to detect cancer, these improve people's lives, no doubt. But this robot, Basically, what, what we're pointing our way to here, and I, I'm not a macroeconomist, so I, I, I'm going to choose my words carefully here, but there is, if you listen to Raoul Pal, for instance, kind of give you the bigger overview of what is going on here. We basically have, in the Western world, we have a population that is growing older and is becoming less productive but still needs looking after. We have a pension shortfall, so we're not producing enough money, particularly in the United States, to fulfill pension obligations. So there is a productivity shortfall. That means that we as a species don't make enough stuff. We don't grow enough. And if you understand how much our lives have been focused on productivity at the expense of everything else, this is a real problem because there's no more juice left in the orange. So the robots, the AI, are ways for us to squeeze more out of this. So AI assists humans, robots replace humans. And so this is how they benefit society because if we can be more productive then we can start eating into that two trillion dollar deficit growth every year in the united states which is just a number which boggles my brain mm. uh, there's another robot website figure.ai um i mean these, these are the crazy statistics there are 10 million unfilled jobs in the united states seven million of those job openings are for essential roles in warehouses transportation and retail there are only 6 million people available to fill these open positions and attrition rates remain high. So basically, there's a bunch of warehouses with not enough people to go around doing the boring stuff and robots can do that. And obviously robots have battery life problems and so they can't work 24 hours a day, but I'm sure they'll figure that out at some point. 
I like on the how their website they've got the about us section, but they've also got the master plan section. Just no the master just, plan. This yes, is the master plan. Yeah, I know. But the, the, so the the values side of it is is the bit that really scares the crap out of me, because there's like we're really zeroing in on the future of the human species here, and a world in which we are inviting in AI to be part of our lives to live alongside us, not as pets but as co-workers. So their first value is move fast and be technically fearless just taking move fast and break things and just remixing it product first mission focused and then the third one is aggressively optimistic i'm an aggressive optimist i'm gonna <laughs> shout in your face about how wonderful the world is <laughs> Oh, my days. I want to spend no time with aggressive optimists. I know. And then number four is maximize future impact. Uh, yes. So maximize future revenue. And then number five, <laughs> championship mindset. Wow. Okay. Just I'm a champion, words. everybody. And I'm going to win the championship. I mean, I think I have on. met people like that at parties. I know. But who writes this crap? <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's sit in a room together and, and let's think of really sort of interesting, buzzy ways in which we're going to just destroy ourselves. It's like, let's, oh, I don't know. I, it, it's, it's, it's so easy to be dismissive of this stuff. We kind of have to accept that it's happening. Mm. And it's happening in that kind of weird creeping way where before you realize it it's just there yeah that's what it's it feels like there. isn't it it's sort of just coming in and there's no way of voting yes. to stop it or anything it's just happening in front of our eyes well there is, there is a word for that which is hyper normalization mm. um which you know is is basically what what's going on here we just just hyper normalize stuff and we never kind of go uh maybe we should stop and take happened. stock a bit yeah well the, the yes. other just little thing to tag onto that is on the last episode when we were talking about robotics, the NYPD has just signed up the robot dogs to join force uh, as well. So, so they now work for the police, which is which is good. I think that seems seems fine. Um, on this topic, here's a tweet which I, I, I'm going to read because basically it, it was this lady who had gone to this art exhibition and she'd seen this robot arm. Uh, and this is what she said. She said, no piece of art has ever emotionally affected me the way uh, this robot arm piece has. It's programmed to try and contain the hydraulic fluid that's constantly leaking out and required to keep itself running. If too much escapes, it will die. So it's desperately trying to pull back to continue to fight for another day. The saddest part of this whole thing is they gave the robot the ability to do these happy dances to spectators. When the project was first launched, it danced around spending most of its time interacting with the crowd since it could quickly pull back the small spillage. Many years later, as you now see in this video in the tweet, which I'll link uh, it looks tired and hopeless as there isn't enough time to dance anymore it now has only enough time to try and keep itself alive as the amount of leaked hydraulic fluid became unimaginable spill over time so it's this robot that's like leaking the fluid out started all happy and then is slowly dying in its exhibition i read this and i felt sad for the robot and genuinely was like oh that's really sad and, it, and it's quite an interesting piece because it talks about working for money the whole time and if you just sort of you know are constantly trying to uh you know run on the treadmill and never really sort of enjoy things it was like a really it's a really powerful thing but also it's the first time i felt i think sad i mean maybe wally feeling sad for robots which is is that just what they want i don't know but it's it's interesting that that's happening as well now well, it's metaphorical, isn't it? It's a metaphor for the futility of human existence. Like, no matter how hard you try, the hydraulic fluid spills out. Mm. The ir ironic thing is because it's a synthetic thing. It's a mechanical thing. It's, you know it can be maintained and put back together. 
by humans and then in the future by robots. But I think, you know, <clears throat> again, taking the long view, extrapolating away from this, what we're confronting here is, is the idea that within the next 100 years, we will be able to transcend immortality. You know, we, we will be able to get beyond the boundaries of our own mortality. You know, probably by understanding our own physiognomy better, uh, this, you know, digital bridge between the brain and, and the legs, that points the way as well, because if you can have a software solution or a mechanical, you know, electronics or cybernetic solution to mortality, then you can pretty much just replace yourself over time to the point where you're just a completely upgraded version of yourself and your brain remains whatever it is. But that's kind of why this is so interesting because it puts all of that into counterpoint, which is if machines can die, then where does that leave us? And I, and I always go back to Blade Runner in this because Blade Runner was a film that set the idea that you know artificial little beings could display more humanity than humans. And in that film, you know, that's basically how that's set up, that Deckard is much more of a robot than Roy Batty, for instance. And so you have this tension between the perceived idea of what humanity is and then the reality of it and how disappointing that can be. Uh, man, we just got deep. Yeah, got real, know, deep. yeah real deep. I like it. I like it. But you're right, that's art, but it's also framing this incredible question about our own mortality and where we're going. And, and when we, you and I get kind of freaked out, but also weirdly excited about where technology is going, I think mm. it's also part of that same deep <clears throat> sort of dialogue we have with our own short time on earth again i went to the museum at the weekend and looked at dinosaurs that's a that's a way of putting yourself into very small context yes. you realize that, you know <laughs> well, just casually for like 250 300 million years that was just a bunch of animals roaming around the land that didn't give a shit about ai and were perfectly happy and then we came along and we've literally been here for like 60 60 000 years and uh, look what we've managed to accomplish. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Amazing. this is true. And we're freaking out more than they, they probably were until until the inevitable. Um, all right, well, there's... Meteor! Meteor! Ah, <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, it's too late. Um, good, yeah, some big topics there. There's uh, also lots of little uh, things that have happened oh, this so week. Oh, so much. Uh, so loads much. of things that we could go on forever about, but some important ones. We're obviously looking ahead to all the Apple stuff that's coming. Uh, the yes. developer conference on the 5th of June is when it kicks off. All the rumors there that a headset's going to drop. Um, there's lots of videos. You've done one about the death of the iPhone and uh, and an Apple essay on, on all of that stuff, which you can check out on the channel. Um, interestingly, probably not coincidentally, um, Meta has started to drop rumors for, about the Meta Quest 3, and they have their gaming showcase on the 1st of June, so maybe there's some big announcements coming there. Um, but yeah, there's, there's some interesting stuff that's come from this. So they've obviously had the MetaQuest Pro out, which was uh, aimed a bit higher. And uh, for anyone who doesn't know, the Quest 2 being the standalone VR headset that um, has been the most kind of popular consumer VR headset. They sold 50 million units um, as of June last year. And yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, some rumors about what the next one's going to look like, lighter, more powerful, uh, more capable, and a bigger focus on mixed reality stuff. So more cameras that you can uh, look, have a, have a full color pass through into the real world. And that seems the big uh, trend that's going into mixed reality, which Apple are probably going to jump on as well. A better resolution, uh, better kind of hand tracking, stuff we'd all expect. If I'm honest, I was a little bit, I thought there'd be a little bit more here for this headset, but it is a step in the right direction, clearly mixed reality is something that's going to be a focus for these big companies as we go forward. Yeah, I think you've got you've got the the contrast between the hardware features and the software features. I suspect there's probably quite a lot of software things built in which are quite interesting. We've got a Quest Pro. The full color pass through is okay. It's not amazing. 
I don't find myself wanting to sit at my desk and have it on and do the kind of productivity stuff mm. because it just doesn't work for me. It just feels weird and goofy. Uh, I wore that headset for nine and a half hours and ran a marathon. And so I, I understand what it's like to have it on your head for an extended period of time under duress. It's yeah. You, I, I also have the same thing, which is like, if you already own a quest two, why would you upgrade to a quest three? There has to be a fairly compelling reason to do so. And if the software isn't there, if the games aren't there, which, you know, if you look at the Quest store, uh, there's barely, barely anything. Like, there's just no games. Um, so you can, you know, you can you can use the side quest, whatever it is, the, um, the, the hack store, so you can sort of jailbreak it, basically, and, and get other games and stuff. But like, I don't know why anyone would. It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one. Yeah, yeah, there's still a way to go, I think, isn't there? Like, it's, uh, it has become the consumer headset and it is building, but there, yeah, there isn't really the killer out. I mean, there's like things like Beat Saber and like Resident Evil, that's cool. And there's some good, there's some great VR titles on PC, but you need a good PC to run it. It's all a bit still all over the place, but we'll see what Apple uh, have. And uh, yeah, it's a step in the right direction, but it doesn't, doesn't seem the moment yeah, and, that and I'm hoping it would be. Definitely, st- standalone headsets are definitely the, the way forward. If there's like, if you're tethered to a PC, it's it's kind of very niche. But like just being able to pop it on and do stuff, play a quick game. I still like the Quest. Don't love it. Mm. Yeah, I think that's probably the summary there, isn't it? Um, also, something that we've talked about in previous episodes about NPCs coming into games. Um, NVIDIA had a big showcase recently, and the thing that really stood out uh, was an interaction with the character that they had using uh, AI with the character in real time. They used a whole kind of uh, collection of technologies to really have that ex- that experience that people are waiting for, where you can go into a game, you can speak to a character, it, it will respond in a way that is unique to you and your story builds. I don't know if you want to roll through some of the tech that was involved in that but that was a cool moment that's that's something that we're we've been waiting for for sure yeah well i think it was pretty obvious to people that once you start to see chat gpt generative ai it's pretty obvious that that has a, a a fantastic use case for storytelling in video games through npcs and traditionally npcs have fairly limited scripted responses that can be triggered through interaction with them and, you know you say would you like to do this or this and then it triggers a response and off you go which is fine, and it gives game publishers a way of steering a story through predictable pathways. With with AI, you can basically feed, you know, an entire story world into the bot, and then use you know some form of uh, chat engine to power that NPC in a way that's very fluid, very natural, and then of course synthesize the voice and synthesize the animations that are, that are then driving the actual character itself. So you have a kind of collision of all these different technologies, metahumans, Unreal Engine, you know, there's quite a lot of very sophisticated real-time stuff going on with NVIDIA now, DLSS, which is their AI-powered super sampling thing where you can take a 1080p image and scale it up to 4K without it taking such a hit on your processor so you get better performance and higher images. You've also got RTX GI, which is their global illumination solution which is again taking all the power of like advanced ray tracing but reducing the footprint and reducing the burden on your processor to deliver really exciting lit scenes but then you have this technology built in which is the ability just to talk to an npc in natural language and have it respond to you in a way that is really conversive what's interesting about that demo don't know how real it is is that it seems to happen in near real time so Mm. i've done a lot of these sort of tests before 
where you converse with an AI and there's always a bit of a lag. So it feels very disjointed and not very fluid, that whole thing. Because you and I having a conversation, we can talk over each other. We can have a very kind of back and good back and forth. But here you started to see like, actually it is kind of happening in real time. And obviously we, we knew that was gonna happen. We've actually been working with a partner called Quantum Engine to do exactly the same thing uh, in our own Unreal Engine studios because I want to have a character in the world with me when I'm performing in, in mocap that I can converse with and do it live and have it kind of respond and get annoyed with me and show emotions and stuff. So this is something we're also exploring and the ability to take our own story world of Trashland, feed it to that bot, and then every week feed new information to it and also have it able to access stories in the internet so that we could have it on this stream with us and we could you know, ask it questions about this particular story. So like we could talk to this bot and say, are we right about what we're thinking here? And it can have an opinion and it can form part of this podcast. That is that is nuts. But it could all be happening in real time. Mm. Yeah, that Imagine was that. what was impressive. If it, if it was true and they and they hadn't sped anything up, it was uh, yeah something I'd not seen before at that level, which is cool. I wonder whether GTA... Oh, they, 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 I, I'm 100% convinced that they sped something up. Okay. I don't think it's quite there yet, or at least it's, it's massively optimized. So I think it was more of proof of concept. This is where it could be. Mm-hmm. But this platform conv AI, I've seen a few different ones like this. Quantum Engine, who we're working with, is another one. But yeah, this is this is going to make a big difference to the immersiveness of games. Huge difference to game publishers. And I think, you know, if you believe like I do, that games are like this massive trampoline moment for the metaverse or what the metaverse is going to be, uh, then this npc powered world in which you can choose your own adventure and have very deep rich relationships with non-humans in virtual worlds <sighs> big, big ideas my friend yeah, big ideas for sure I, I do wonder i was going to say around gta 6 whether they are gonna integrate some of this stuff there's some amazing uh it's, it's gta roleplay if you youtube it there's whole like separate servers that people have set up where they go and act um, in complete role-play environments. So there's a guy who like streams on TikTok who is like a police officer and he talks in, in, a, in a whole police officer way but there's people who enter their world with rules and he goes and arrests people and all this stuff and it's like, it, it, it is one of the best demonstrations of a, of a kind of metaverse that's working in that, in that way and yeah, obviously GTA 6 has been in development for kind of 10 years. There were some crypto rumors recently that maybe there's going to be something that you can earn in the game that you can take out and that kind of thing. That would feel like that might be uh, a game that kind of introduces some of this stuff and well, has a big major that's a great example that 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 that's a mod mm. and that role play server is it's allowing people to have to live out a a role which they never break from but that guy has still has to sleep so you imagine that he can train an ai to take the role that he performs or he could kind of create an entire police force an entire squad that could then act based on rules and parameters that he set up. You know, this could be really, really interesting. I mean, it already is really, really interesting. But I think, you know, if we're talking about GTA 6, if, if even if they don't introduce it, someone will mod it or they will create a, you know, a parallel version of it in which that absolutely is the case. And yeah, have you, have you taken your clone and ripped around with it in GTA no, I've I've not. I've played with some Blender stuff, and I was doing it when there was less tools to kind of make it easier, really. But that's obviously changing quick. But no, I've seen other people rocking artifact sneakers in GTA mods and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah, I've not done it myself. Yeah, um, it's funny, isn't it? When people scoff at interoperability, it's like, yeah, 
I don't know. You've got so many different pieces of IP that can coexist in Fortnite quite happily. Mm. I think if it's a free-for-all in an open world like that, like a proper big sandbox where you can be whoever you want to be, however you want to be, then like I think all bets are off. So, yeah. Some other interesting stories that came out. Uh, Stephen Gray from Meta's Facebook Gaming, he did a session at Games Beat Summit and shared his takeaways from a new industry study, which actually basically had some interesting takeaways. 50% of all gamers know what the metaverse is, which is a number mostly driven by the hardcore gamer. I would dispute that because I don't think anybody knows what the metaverse is or can give you a proper definition of it because it's too amorphous. Uh, Gamers already involved in the metaverse and adjacent tech experiences with about a third using VR and AR and nearly 50% using cross-platform play. The cross-platform play is pretty interesting. So being able to play on your PlayStation, on your PC, on diff or your on your phone so you have all these different experiences that connect and are connected to each other i think seeing sony's investment in epic because they have they're now i think they own like four four point five percent of epic now clearly working on that cross-platform thing with playstation mm-hmm. uh crypto and nfts yeah, still a little bit down in the doldrums and i understand why and that kind of takes me to the the other thing which is um reddit released the rabbit avatars with ubisoft and so reddit's whole thing is that they red pilled a bunch of people into nfts without telling them that they were buying nfts it's kind of this bait and switch thing so they released a whole bunch of collectibles and they were actually nfts but they never said they were nfts and everyone went wow you are geniuses because you never use the word nft you use the word collectible and because you're reddit and because you have all this distribution you are geniuses and it really gets to the heart of the problem around crypto which is there is a an education thing that needs to happen if you want to be a self custodian which is to own your own assets then there's a huge amount of value in understanding that you are in fact owning your own assets and if you hide that if you abstract it away then the messaging gets lost and the value of it being that in the first place is also lost and you might as well use a database so i have a hard time with soft peddling crypto and nfts you either do it own it take the flack take the heat but say you're doing it or you don't do it at all and you give it another name this mm. kind of sort of soft thing it feels it feels shady that's what it feels like but yeah. anyway you know, fair play to them nike's sold like a buttload of sneakers yes they had their air well. force one drop and dots yeah. and they sold uh millions worth which is good the, the final story very quickly was it's interesting see bbc studios are finally entered the metaverse in some form bringing in brands like doctor who but top gear into the sandbox um i still kind of am waiting on the sandbox moment i like it and i think it's cool do you uh, well no uh, do i do what i want to i think is probably the answer but i don't so know why do you want to why do you want to why do why do we have to like a platform just because they're building stuff like sandbox is obviously going after minecraft mm. it's going after the minecraft audience except now you own your thing i i the problem i have with sandbox is you build something there and then at the end of the season it disappears it's gone it's like ah but they are if you are a developer and you want to build a game there they're, they're giving away you know very generous grants you can get like 50 grand to build a game on sandbox so if you can find a developer you can split that with them you get you know you can get a game built and you can start experimenting with it i just have a i just have a hard time understanding why the bbc would build on sandbox as opposed to roblox yes just, true yeah. yeah i i do if you if you want the exposure and you want to bring the next audience that are they're in in roblox at the moment aren't they we'll we'll see but yeah i kind of want to like it and i'm hoping it has its moment but i'm not 
not not there yet. But there we go. We'll see. Um, and we'll keep up to date with these stories as they develop. But there we go. That was uh, that was a lot of a lot of good stuff. Um, that was the pod. That I was mean, the pod. Boom. Every week. Every week. <laughs> yeah. Are you, are you having a Are you having a hard time keeping on top of it all? Yeah, it is almost. Yeah, it's it's just like a full time job just keeping up, isn't it? And also skipping between the um, threads on Twitter of uh, here's ChatGPT, but you're not using it correctly. Threads uh, and various things where you <sighs> there's there's so many of these things. Well, you're falling behind type thing. I still click on them anyway because you don't want to fall behind. But yeah, you you sometimes yeah, have to you, take some time out just to yes, get your head around stuff. Don't you? That that's been that's been the biggest pain in my ass in the last two months. Is you know starting a new business trying to set it up trying to fight your way through to like some kind of measure of success while being repeatedly told that everything you know everything you do everything you think is wrong Mm. and now you have to learn like not one not two not three but 50 different ways to use the same tool that probably suck that's the thing like there's so many blind alleys i do wonder had the amount of time i've spent on rubbish ai tools has ai saved me money and increased my productivity like i think so but probably not as much as i thought it had because i've I've spent a considerable amount of time trying stuff that is rubbish as well so yeah and you and i are not writing a newsletter if we were writing a newsletter it wouldn't matter it's like you could just say this thing exists oh wait that's what the podcast is yeah (laughs) (laughs) but no that but i i find a lot of I, i just it gets from okay to mediocre but then beyond that you're just like am i really saving myself time here how do i use this and every day i try and use it in a different way i try and figure out a different angle in on it and some stuff yes it's helping me but inevitably it gets you about 50 percent of the way there and you're like could i've just got there by myself Mm -hmm. i don't know very limited use cases in which i go yes this saves me time this is better yeah but i obviously you know you can't rule it out mid-journey for instance incredible we use it a lot it genuinely is a game changer and you know hopefully the rest will follow yeah my final thoughts on that is that do you know what it is really nice going to play games go and play Fortnite, and you'll kind of just switch off from all of that like all the kind of chaos of opinions and everything everything and you're in this experience that's removed and that's nothing new but i do kind of think like as ai and and you know bots are writing tweets and everything people are going to get so sick of that kind of low level content that's just like bombarded at them that people are it's going to fuel a kind of um, escape to more immersive experiences where you just want to hang with your two or three friends and just have none of that. Like, I do think that's a, you know, a trend that we probably might oh, see. Oh, yeah, for for sure. I think mm. it's, I mean, we're betting the farm on that here, that yeah, there's well, a an elevated version of this where things are nuanced and weird and not mediocre and not, you know, trending to the mean as AI tends to do. It just drags everything to the mean. It doesn't elevate things. Mm. Uh, again, mid-journey is the exception here very yeah. very important to make that but yeah i mean I, I i find myself playing fortnite a lot and it it's it's instructive that tim sweeney really focused on the social component of that the ability to have fun with your friends and by the way quick plug for what's coming out the big film this thursday based off is a look at tim sweeney's metaverse master plan we're looking at who he's invested in as epic games who's invested in him that controversial 10 cent investment back in 2012 and just sort of tracing the history of you know, Potomac Game Systems, which is what Epic Games was originally called back in 1991, all the way to where we are now. It's an incredible story coming out Thursday. Nice. That's probably a good place to wrap up. That was a very slick plug, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I just kind nice. of pulled it out of my ass. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, all right. Yeah. Well, make sure you hit follow if you haven't already, and uh, we will see you for next the next episode. So cheers. Take care. Peace. Peace. Peace.